there's a certain amount of people out there that just have an incredible amount of intellect combined with an incredible work ethic. And those are, are just some very, very special people. And I'm a fundamental believer that then there's kind of like the rest of us. And to me, the most fundamental thing you can do to rise to the top of that group is just show up and work. It's not a secret. There's no manual for it, for showing up every day on time with enthusiasm and working hard and then going home. I mean, it's not rocket science. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Well, Steve Brazil, thank you so much for making it on the show today. I appreciate your time on this wonderful, sunny California afternoon. Thank you. I really, um, I'm looking forward to, to speaking to you. Well, I know for a fact that I had to strong arm you into this and uh, you came uh, a little bit resistant, but today we have a treat. A lot of people in the world that want to get into the ag business. There's people at UC Davis. There's people at Colorado State University. There's people at University of Missouri. All over the place, there's people that want to get in the ag business. And Steve is the founder and CEO of Centera Produce Traders, as well as a, a charitable organization called uh, Project Food Box. He's on the board of a few organizations. He's deeply involved. He's got an international farming business. And we're going to talk today to Steve about how one would get in that business and exactly what you do when you're in that business. But before we do, Steve, I got to start off the way I always start off. What is your definition of excellence? Well, that's a tough one. I was thinking about that. And, and because the definition of excellence is obviously doing something really, really well, but I, I kind of look at it a little bit more than that. It's, it's doing something extremely well, but doing it over and over again and for a, a sustained period of time, as opposed to, to kind of a one-shot deal. It's, it's, it's part of an overall effort that we should we strive for in our company. So I, I look at it more of a, of a, of a long-term commitment to being outstanding in, in what it is that you're doing. So it's not excellent to go do something one time. That could be a fluke. But if you can do something really well over and over and over again, you're excellent in that area. And Steve, I know you're excellent in the area of providing food to the people of America. And I know when COVID hit, uh, you figured out a way to provide food to a lot of people in different parts of America that didn't have access to it. So thank you for your hard work. Thank you for your excellence. And let's dive in. Before we get into what you did in high school and how you got to where you're at, why don't you tell us what Santerra Produce Traders does and where your market is? So Santerra Produce is a trading platform that connects uh, farmers with with their customers. And in our instance, the customers are, are very large retail organizations such as Walmart, Costco, Kroger, um, Ralph's, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods companies we've all heard of. And then there are um, wholesale distributors who most of us have not heard of. And, and they do the, the dirty work every day of getting our food um, where it needs to go, all the, the logistics piece and um, 
really focusing on, on that kind of final mile distribution. And then finally, there's a, a food service distribution channel that is um, all of your restaurants, as you might imagine. So your restaurant chains, et cetera. And so through one of our, which your listeners would like to hear, through one of our partnerships, we actually produce a significant amount of the iceberg lettuce for In-N-Out Burger. So uh, my kids always uh, got a kick out of being able to tell their friends when uh, they drove through In-N-Out Burger for their double-double that their lettuce was their lettuce was grown by their dad. And that, that was always kind of an interesting. Do you own the farms as well? Or are you working with other farms or both? Typically, we work with multi-generational family farms who have all of the infrastructure in place. This is what they do. They have the tractors, the tools, the shovels, the boots. They have the boots on the ground. Their expertise is, is land selection and growing the right crops in the right areas. Their expertise tends to kind of stop when it comes time to harvest it. And, and that's where we come in. So we come in and we package all the produce to our specifications. As you might imagine, when you go to Trader Joe's, the produce is packaged a little bit differently than it is when you go to Walmart. And so we take the product, put it in the appropriate packaging that our customers are looking for, um, cool it. We have to handle this product and bring it in, into, a, into a temperature range that allows for it to, to be shipped across the country. And then we deliver it to these retail food service and wholesale customers so that they can get it on, on your table of your uh, favorite restaurant or, or home. So if you're, you know, an absolute genius and you manage to get into Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, because we all know that it's very difficult to get into San Luis Obispo or Santa Barbara, where I went, and you're there and you're studying ag business, you could be looking at, okay, I want to get into farming. I want to get into land selection. That applies to a bunch of careers. You could be in real estate land selection, farming land selection, uh, wine land selection, but you have to have that agricultural background to be selecting land for a winery or for a farm. You could want to get into the uh, biology of growing and figuring out how to grow more effectively and maybe uh, deal with some of the pesticides. You could be on the business side, which is the side you're on, where you're dealing with the packaging, the cooling, and the sales uh, uh, between the farmer and the end retailer. So you chose to go the uh, shipping, packaging, sales to uh, business to business sales side, and your path to this started a long time ago. So you grew up where? I grew up in a small town called Brawley, California. Uh, not many of you will have heard of it, but it's on the southeastern tip of California. So we're, gosh, I don't know, 40 or 50 miles from the Arizona border and about 30 or 40 miles from the Mexican border. So for our listeners or for your listeners, it's tell them to go to the Coachella Festival and keep driving another hour um, like <laughs> they're going to, to Mexico and they'll, and they'll be able to find it. Um, they'll be able to find it. So in this area of California, if I blindfolded you and dropped you out there, you would never know you're in California. You would think you're in Arizona. You would think you're in uh, New Mexico, Nevada, et cetera. It's, it's an agricultural area. There's um, nothing much to do there besides agriculture. It's the, it's the main industry. And so, so growing up in that region, there really wasn't, my mind wasn't broadened to other opportunities other than ones that were related to agriculture because my living in a town of 20,000, you know, and this is, you know, pre-internet, uh, we had three channels on the TV. So um, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to know what was available out there other than what you saw growing up. But what, what made me really want to, you know, my father was a farm labor contractor. And so his job was to aggregate 
um, farm workers and bring them to the farm to allow farmers to get their crops out of the field. And if they're going to start picking vegetables at, at five or six in the morning, you can only imagine what time my dad would have to get up to go find the people, aggregate them, get them to the field, make sure they're fed, make sure everything was they're treated fairly and correctly. And so he would be gone from, you know, three in the morning until seven or eight at night. And I remember, I, and I used to work with them on the weekends from the time I was about 12 or 13. And I remember one time we were out in the field and there was this red uh, Porsche 928. Uh, this is probably 80. 1983, 84. So whatever year that was, I think it was 928. And it was out in the field. And I remember asking my dad, and I said, what does that guy do? And he said, oh, he's, you, you know, he's one of those salesman guys. He's the guy that sells all the crop. But and my dad was real disparaging about the guy going, ah, that no good guy. He's over there selling it. We're doing all the real work. This is where the real value is. This is where the, this is where, where it all happens. And while I do believe that, and that work ethic is, is what got me to where I am today, at that moment, I thought, wait a minute, you know, I want to be the guy driving the 928. That he, he looked pretty happy when he came out of that car with a big fat cigar in his mouth. And I'm over here working 18 hours a day uh, picking fruit. And so that kind of was my first introduction to an ethos that I kind of live by, which is work smarter, not harder. And that's not because I don't want to work hard. I work very, very hard many hours a day doing what I do, but, but using my brain as opposed to my back. Well, you do both. You work smarter yes. and harder. You do both. Interesting because, you know, I grew up in New Mexico. Same thing. I, you know, I, I married the girl who's got out of Ferrari because that was my path. I was so focused on, you know, getting cash. And, and you know, now you look back how silly uh, that you were focused on getting cash. There was other things motivating you. And, you know, you and I have a similar background. So there's a bunch in there that was motivating us. It kind of comes out as I want the red 928 or the red 328 or whatever the car is that pulls into the place that uh, you've never seen before and uh, and put a poster up on your wall. That's how it starts for a lot of us. Interesting though, you grew up in this ag area. You kind of keep that in your blood forever. And there's a lot of people listening that are in a similar situation and they can go any different way. You pinpointed on sales because you saw the Porsche and then you go off to college at University of Arizona. So what, how were you in high school? What was going on? You're picking fruit. You're working your butt off. You're developing this huge work ethic. You're probably wishing you had more like I was, wishing you didn't have to work so hard. And now you look back and go, thank God my dad took me to the farm. Thank God I didn't have all that cash and I didn't rest on my laurels because there's nothing that replaces strong work ethic in any career you're going into. You're driving your car right now. Listen to me and Steve on 1.5 speed. Work ethic is the most important. Right, Steve? 1,000%. 1,000%. You're working your butt off. You get out of high school. And what was going on at the University of Arizona? Yeah. So, so in high school, just to back up there for a minute, I, I mentioned every, my dad, my dad said, if you weren't um, playing sports or doing extracurricular activities, you'll be working. And so, as you might imagine, I was playing sports or doing other activities as much as humanly possible <laughs> because that, that beat, that beat the alternative. So uh, fortunately for me, you know, I had two older brothers and an older sister. So I was the youngest of four. So coming into high school, I was a known commodity in a small town. Uh, my, my brothers and sister were fairly popular, or, you know, and, and, you know, so we were, you know, I kind of, it was a nice smooth transition for me. I was able to kind of transition into high school as kind of, like I said, they, they knew who I was and stuff like that. So that, was, that, that made it kind of nice on a, on a social level. But what I came to realize was if I didn't want to, I wanted to work and I enjoyed it, but I really enjoyed playing sports and, and football was my, was my number one outlet. And so football kind of replaced 
um, football became critical to me because it, it, it was the epitome of rewarding somebody for the hard work that they put in. And it, and it, and it taught me that if all 11 players aren't doing the uh, working towards the same goal, it doesn't work. So I had, a, uh, my, my, as far as my academic career in high school is concerned, it worked really well. I was, I was one of the very unique people. This, this probably wouldn't happen in this day and age. With about a month and a half left in my senior year, I had the opportunity to work at a cantaloupe packing shed. And while you might not think that's real sexy, back then it was, a, it was unionized labor and I was 17 years old and the pay was in the neighborhood of 30 or $35 an hour. And the hours were 10, 12, 14 a day. So start doing overtime and you can do really well. Well, I wanted to do this job, but I had school to finish. But I, so I, went, I made an appointment with the principal, went in there and I said, hey, I have an opportunity. I, I laid out the opportunity. I could either stay here and go to school or I could come to school every morning, pick up my homework, work all day, and then do my homework every night and bring it back the next day. He said, why would you want to do that? And I explained to him what the pay was. And his first response is, do they have any other job openings? Uh, was, was his first response. But then secondly, he let me do it. And I thought it was really amazing that um, he let somebody do that. I excelled in high school, so I, my grades were good. And then he let somebody go out and work and, and actually kind of gain and, and show the value to me that that work is is, is equally as important as, as academics. So I was able to, um, you mentioned University of Arizona. I got there, in a, uh, you know, I didn't get there directly. I went to Cal Poly Pomona my first two years. And the first, and the reason why I did, I chose that college because it was the only college I applied to. And the reason why it was the only college I applied to is I wasn't really aware that there were any other colleges to apply to. And the reason why I didn't know that is I had two brothers who went to college before me and they both went to Cal Poly. And so my parents must have, and neither one of my parents went to college. So I think they probably thought Cal Poly was the only college in the country. Um, and so I went there, I had a great time, played football for a couple of years, had a, had a fantastic time with my immediate older brother and several friends, but decided right away that, that, that Cal Poly, as great as it was, and it was really specific to my major, really strong agricultural program. I wanted to transfer to a bigger school. So that's hence the transfer to the University of Arizona, who, who is a powerhouse in the agricultural um, college um, area anyways, and, and was able to finish there. But, but to your point, the work is what kind of got me through. You know, my, I realized pretty quickly that um, I was not going to be that 4.0, 4.5 student. That just wasn't really in the cards for me. So I knew that I, what I lacked in, in the ability to get the highest grades on the board, I made up for with hard work and with horse sense. My dad used to call it common sense, I guess is a better word for it. But as far as, you know, I had a single mindedness of purpose ever, ever since I saw that red car and I was 13, I knew I wanted to be a produce salesman for, you know, some people grew up wanting to be a stockbroker on wall street for a kid from Brawley, California, a produce salesman was, was a stockbroker on wall street. So you weren't the smartest kid in high school. You weren't, the, but you're pretty smart. If you get into Cal Poly Pomona, you didn't get the best grades, probably pretty good grades. If you get into Cal Poly Pomona, but you worked harder than the next person. You know, Scott, all of that. He says uh, he, he, he wanted to, he would never be the smartest, but he always wanted to make sure that no one outworked him. And when he went to Oakley, he uh, lived at Oakley for the first 90 days, which is, you know, famous folklore. So you're on, you're on the, the Olivet work ethic plan. And, you know, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm pretty damn smart, but I kick a lot of people's butts that are a lot smarter than me because they're lazy. Right. The real scary person is super smart, has lots of connections, um, and works hard. Because it doesn't matter what you know or who you know. It matters what you do 
with what you know and who you know. And me and Steve didn't know a whole lot because I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he's from nowhere, California, but we worked our asses off to be able to kind of make up for some of our shortcomings. And then over time, if you're working harder than everybody else and you're reading and you're studying and you're experiencing, over time, you become wiser because wisdom is experience plus intelligence and time, right? So you become wiser and wiser and wiser over the course of your life. You get out of uh, University of Arizona. You've had this uh, melon picking union job, which I never knew. You go to leave Pomona, which is a great school. You go to Arizona, have a great time. And then what happens when you get out of school? How did you, you have this focus. You always wanted to be a produce salesman. Usually people change their ideas. I wanted to be a rock star. I can't play the instruments. So that didn't work. Um, you, you, uh, you come out of Arizona, you want to be a produce salesman. So you went right into it. Yeah. So, so what I did was back then you didn't email out resumes. You went and printed them and, but you didn't just print your resume. You went to the store and got the best looking paper you could that had the most amount of thread count and kind of somebody that if they open up the envelope, they're going to go, wow, we have to hire this guy. Sent out a hundred of those through, you know, I had some connections in the industry. So at least I knew who to mail them to. And that's what you did back then. Mailed them. I got one response back. Uh, <laughs> the, one, the one response back was to a company called Sun World International. It was based in Coachella, California. And I, and that, since I was from Brawley originally, it's about an hour away. So I figured I could, I could do that. And, uh, I was engaged to be married at that time to my high school sweetheart. And so I thought it was, I thought it sounded like a great opportunity. I went and interviewed and I got the job. So one out of a hundred hit and one for one on the job interview. And as it turns out, that company was an industry leader, industry icon that was developing new products that other ones weren't at the time. And they had a super strong training program. I mean, you gotta look back, this is 1992. There wasn't a lot of sophistication in the produce sales business but they just really did a, a bang up job. I couldn't have worked at a better company for two or three years to kind of cut my teeth and, and learn about, you know, the industry rules and regulations and standards and expectations. And so again, that was one of those jobs where I got paid 500 bucks a week to work 18 hours a day, six days a week. And we had pagers for the three young folks on there. They couldn't text us, but boy, they could page us. And, and when you were at dinner and that uh, pager on your belt started buzzing, you're like, Oh my God, I got to go make these phone calls. And so again, that's, uh, you know, it, the touch point about this whole conversation, it seems like we're talking about is work ethic and hard work. And, and I always tell my kids that is I say, you know, and you mentioned it earlier, Matt, about there's a certain amount of people out there that just have an incredible amount of intellect combined with an incredible work ethic. And those are, are just some very, very special people. And I'm a fundamental believer that the rest of us are, in this, in you know, then there's kind of like the rest of us. And to me, the really the only, I don't say only, but the most fundamental thing you can do to rise to the top of that group is just show up and work. You know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a secret. There's no manual for it for showing up every day on time with enthusiasm and working hard and then going home. I mean, it, it's it's not rocket science. You you achieve excellence of work ethic. And it takes 10,000 hours, right? But when you work 18 hours a day, you get to 10,000 hours pretty quickly. You realize it's not scary. It's fun. You realize the impact you're making. You realize that people are noticing you're moving up. I want to get back to college. You're in college. You've been to two colleges. You've done the sports. You got into college. But when you came out of college, it took 100 resumes to get one call. Now, most people turn in 10 when they wonder why they're not getting a job. Turn in 100 to get one call. That's not typical for this uh, podcast. Typically, the people on this podcast are getting lots of, 
uh, attention when they get out of college. What would you have done differently in college to get uh, 10 responses or 20? And I know you got the best response. You got the one with the training, the one with the uh, best uh, uh, produce, strategic plan. All this great stuff happens somewhat out of luck. Would you have done anything differently at University of Arizona to improve the odds that you get lucky? Yes, I would have. Well, I didn't put my grades on my resume, so I wasn't prejudged for that. But I would have I would have performed a lot more strongly academically. My work ethic in Arizona was more focused on how many beers I could drink on the weekends and still get through and graduate in two years. And then so I really there was some lost opportunity there for me to really showcase what I could do, because to your point, if I was in a situation where there were multiple offers and I was mulling those offers, I don't know that my resume or my skill set or my maturity level at that time would have allowed me to rise to the top. You know, it was just kind of a, it was a fortunate uh, situation that I got that job. So if I had to go back to your point, I would uh, put way more effort in, in, in the things that, that people look at when, when they're, when they're looking to hire people, I, I would have, I would have worked a little bit harder uh, in that arena for sure. And so you would have showcased yourself better with better grades, showcasing that you've got the work ethic in school, showcasing that you're grabbing the concepts. Um, did you have any management positions when you were in college? Did you have any sales positions? Were you mostly doing labor as your job or did you have some other leadership type roles in college? My college experience was limited to that. A few on-campus uh, jobs at the cafeteria and stuff like that when I wanted some extra money. And then uh, generally speaking, you know, every summer we would come home and work uh, agricultural jobs and any weekend I chose to come home to come visit was coupled with, you know, my dad waking me up at five in the morning to go, go to work. So, um, if I was, if we were home, we were working, if we, uh, weren't, we were, we were able to, and, and, you know, to my dad's defense, he wasn't able to go to college. His family situation wasn't like ours was. So, um, he told me and, uh, and my brothers that if we maintained our grades and, progressed as we should then we don't we didn't have to get a job in college he would support that and that was something he was really proud of it it wasn't something that he necessarily had the means to do but he did it and it was uh, uh, something that he took a lot of pride in so you know that we were fortunate that that he was able to do that for us are you enjoying the show thus far We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. Well, that's another theme of our little discussion today, Steve. You noticed the uh, work ethic theme. And 
you know, I, I'm like, I'm like a guy on my soapbox. I always talk about work ethic. I probably should t- stop and let people get lazy. Not, uh, but the other theme is outside the box thinking, right? Or, or you could say solving problems. You're in school. You want to get paid 35 bucks an hour. And when you, you do date yourself, by the way, and we'll, we'll take a public service announcement here real quick. Public service announcement. Um, Steve is actually very cool. I remember being on a plane with Steve flying to go do, was it running of the bulls? And we're sitting next to each other. And it was the first time he'd gotten out of the country. And we're on this plane going to running of the bulls, popping our ambience. Never had an ambient before either. And his daughter had left the day before, I think, to go to Switzerland for like a mini study abroad. So his daughter had beat him outside the country. So we went to running of the bulls. And then we went down to South America and did five countries in six days and jumped out of helicopters in the Panama Canal and met the president and had a great time. Steve should not be using phrases like young folks because that is definitely putting him in a place that he doesn't want to be. Because Steve, in my mind, is perpetually 27 years old, acts 27 years old, just is a lot more successful and has done a lot more things. So now, done with the public service announcement. Thank you that we could save Steve's name and his four kids are probably a little bit prouder now. He's not using phrases like young folks on the podcast here. So you get out of, you get out of college, You've got this great job. You get lucky. They probably wasn't luck. You probably had a recruiter that saw your work ethic, that understood what that meant. You probably had some great interviews because you're a good communicator. You get in the sales business. You're working your butt off again. And then when did you jump to being the founder of a company? And when did you jump to being an entrepreneur? And what happened there? Why did you go from sales to entrepreneurship in that same industry? Okay, well, growing up again, in addition to the farm labor contracting company that my dad had, he always had some kind of other deal going. You know, it was always the next, this out of the other, extremely entrepreneurial, had to have done 20 or 30 different things um, that I can recall growing up. So it's just been in my blood. So it didn't take very long for me to either A, realize my value at that company and try to maximize it, or B, you know, realize that I had to leave to, to maximize that value. So I took, um, let me see. So my first three jobs that I left, I took pay cuts with each one to go to the next one. And it is counterintuitive as it sounded. It was because the opportunity for long-term, it was like taking a step back to take 10 steps forward because they were commission structure or, or, you know, some different compensation um, structures that were unique that I, that I developed because I'm a big believer, again, if you work hard and create revenue for the company you work for, that that is jo- ultimate job security uh, because people don't get rid of revenue generators. And so I, I learned that early on as well. But right from day one, I just always, and emulating my dad and seeing that anything is possible and that you can start anything if you want to, if you have an idea, just do it. I, I knew I wasn't going to be long for, for working for other companies. So when I was 29, I worked for two other companies that were industry leaders. And then at 29, I decided to, to do some things that I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but I just felt so highly confident. One, moving from Indio, California, which has a, a relatively reasonable cost of living, and moving to Balboa Island, California, and starting a new company <laughs> and leaving a job that I had a salary with, with um, uh, three kids that were under the age of uh, um, six. So that I, I have a tendency to put a little pressure on me because I know I can work my way out of it. But just that, 
for me and for my personality, uh, I like to be in control of my own destiny or feel like I'm in control of my own destiny. And, and so that was what ultimately led me from working for somebody else to doing it myself. I just have a feeling for me that if the ship goes down, at least I can look at myself and say, hey, I was the one who took it down. But it's a difficult choice to make, and it comes with a tremendous amount of risk risk tolerance. So it's, it's just kind of one of those things that everybody has to choose for themselves. But but that's how I, I maneuvered to, you know, wanting to be an entrepreneur and owning a company as opposed to working for somebody else. So you took the pay cuts as you moved from job to job because you saw a strategic advantage to your long-term future. You're going to learn some new skill set. You're going to learn some new element of the industry. So you decided to trade in immediate gratification, the old marshmallow test, immediate gratification for knowledge and preparation for future success. 100% correct. Yeah. That Which is very unique. That, that's very unique because growing up too, money was not readily available at our house. So if I would have, uh, whenever I would do that, I would tell my dad, oh, I got a better job. I didn't, I left out the part where I took less money because he would be like, what? <laughs> you know, so that's just wasn't in my, it's so counterintuitive. And it is counterintuitive to anyone that's listening to go, why on earth would you take the job that's less money? But it, but it, it, for that professional growth and for the customers that these new companies put me in front of, the smaller company I was working for, I never would have gotten the same opportunity. And I eventually would have capped out at a smaller company. So it was more about getting into a position where I could get in the lane to either be a leader at a big company or start my own. So sometimes you got to step back to step forward. And sometimes you got to jump up to 10,000 feet, take a look at the forest. And if you're just plowing through job to job and you don't stop and say, okay, what's my end game? They say, that's what entrepreneurs are supposed to do. Begin with the end in mind. So you come out of college, you're doing your job and you start thinking about what's the end in mind and you're taking in what's going on around you and you're processing and you're making decisions. You're remembering the 928 and you're just kind of moving staggeredly like you're dodging bullets or something, which you are as an entrepreneur. You're moving to that end point. So you're getting more experience. You're making decisions based on the end point. But maybe it was a 10-year goal or something, but you knew you wanted to get to the point where you could get the red 928, which is a cool car, except for the automatic version. Get the 928 and never get red. Uh, and, and, and live your... Uh, I always say I'm an entrepreneur because everybody else would fire me. And I think almost everybody else did fire me. You wanted to have control. It's funny when you're an entrepreneur, you got to get along better because everybody's going to quit if you don't. So you figured out your personality issues over 10 years while you got all this different great experience. But get, getting into business with Trader Joe's and Walmart and Kroger, some of the greatest brands in the world, some of the smartest executives in the world, you saw that if you wanted to be a big player, in, in produce brokerage, you need to make those connections and show them, hey, I'm the guy to talk to when I come knocking on your door later. That first impression that you're later on using to see if you can get a book of business out of Correct. Yeah. I mean, and, and nowadays with, with these big companies like the ones you mentioned, they're very sophisticated companies. And so they need sophisticated solutions. And so over time, as, you, as we work on these, and when I started working for some of these bigger companies, I learned about the capabilities that some of those companies have that maybe smaller ones don't. And then, so when, when starting my own, even though I didn't aim to be the biggest, we aim to be one of the best by being more nimble and addressing the challenges that actually exist with these big companies that they're so massive, you know, for them to change the direction of their ship is very difficult for someone like Sentara. We're, we're, we're a lot more flexible and, and able to kind of really adjust to the, to the supply chain issues that, that are coming. 
So when you're hiring people, oh, oh, wait a second. You started to get a little soft there. So it's time for another public service announcement. Just in case Steve's kids are listening, one of them was a football player at Berkeley. Heard all about that. He's got a San Luis Obispo, possibly a Clemson. And what was the other one? That was another great school. Arizona. Oh, Arizona. University, yeah, University of Arizona. Of course, how could I forget it? Public service announcement. Uh, whenever I need a favor for people that Steve doesn't know, I call up Steve and he does it. So internships for random people that go to high school with my kids. Steve doesn't know them. I don't know them, but Steve will throw them in the car and give them a great internship and show them all about business. Can't forget jet skiing in the Bering Strait in Alaska. And of course, helicopter glacier hiking in Canada. All cool things that Steve has done despite today sounding a little bit older than he's supposed to sound on this 27 to 27 year old podcast. Uh, back to the show here, Steve. Um, so <laughs> as far as people you're hiring, and I know you hire a lot of people, what sort of uh, majors are you looking for? What sort of skill sets? What sort of demonstrated abilities? You're hiring people that are going to go to business to business sales and handle accounts with these big major players. You're hiring people that are going to work with the farms and develop uh, uh, linkage to uh, more opportunity for more products. So what roles do, do you fill and what are you looking for in those people? We're not so much um, driven by what the majors are. Um, it, again, you know, just beating a dead horse here. It's really about work ethic and the ability to be resilient and to not give up. You know, I mean, our, our business, any type of business that involves sales is, is, is all about continuing to push until you can't push anymore. So, so for us, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting too. We have a, we have a logistics division and I was talking to a, a, another uh, gentleman who owns a, a logistics company and, and I was asking him for some advice and he said, well, whatever you do, don't hire a supply chain management major. And I thought, wow, that would have been the first person that I would think to hire is really good advice. And one of the things that he told me, he said, because when you hire one of those folks, they try one of those kids, they're, they're trying to reimagine the whole supply chain. Our job is when somebody says, I need a load picked up in San Diego and delivered to uh, Omaha, Nebraska, find a truck and get it over there. They're not looking for the solution to the problem. They just know in three days that load needs to be in Nebraska. So there's that communication barrier to a little bit between people in, in, in my generation, you know, people owning companies and then the younger generation, which is there's sometimes it, it's okay to do things that are transactional. You know, we can always find a better way to do it, you know, some kind of an application or some sort of electronic way of doing it. But, you know, instead of trying to solve the world's problems, how about get, get a load of lettuce from point A to point B? Okay, so, so you, you get some people coming into business and uh, they're, they're in their 20s and they're super excited and they've been to college and they've learned all this new stuff and they've been watching lots of TikTok, which I'm going to sentence you to two hours of TikTok after this to, uh, um, stop using phrases like younger what, generation. What younger generation, we don't use that phrase. Um, but they're Gen Zers and they're in their 20s and sometimes they think they know a little bit more than they do. And sometimes they want to come in and have equal vote because they've lived in this strange world that didn't exist a few years ago where they think that they have equal vote. And I don't mean to be rude or do any, you have any undue respect, but we don't respect your opinion until you have wisdom and some time. So they're not doing a good job of knowing when to make a suggestion and when not to. They're not doing a good job of knowing when to be adamant and fight for it and when not to, because they haven't learned kind of so much the workings of the business. So you've, inter you've interacted with some people that have strong work ethic, 
have perseverance that they've proven on their resume, have uh, resilience that they've proven on their resume. And you want smart people, you want people that work hard, but you want people to kind of respectfully learn this, this industry because it is an industry of kind of doing things the way it's been done. And if you ruffle it too much, you're going to lose some customers. If you don't get that truck there in three days, the food's going to rock. You're going to lose some customers. Yeah, we're, yeah we're, we're, I was going through that similar challenge with my son who just graduated from Berkeley. And, you know, so through high school and his first couple of years of college, he didn't have time for any, any sort of, you know, uh, job on the side because he was involved in athletics. Uh, and, that's so, bullshit. and so his last couple of years, he... Uh, oh, I, I have to call it bullshit. I'm sorry. Every once in a while, okay. we, we do use foul language on the show. Not very often. But if you're playing sports in high school and you're listening to this, do not allow your father or your mother to say what Steve said. Find a job. Five hours a week is a job. If you're in college and you go to Cal Berkeley and you got one of the top 20 schools, which means one of the hardest schools, and you're playing football and we know it's tough, find a job over Christmas break. Find a job for two weeks. Do an internship for two weeks. You can do it. But your son didn't do it. He had football. He had the grades. He had the smarts. He needed a little bit more. And what was going on before I called bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> so let me rephrase that. Uh, because of his involvement in athletics and in academics, he chose not to do any um, side hustles and focused on his academics and his football career. And because of that, as he's coming out and trying, as you know, I'm helping him read his resume as he's showing me different iterations of it, it's very difficult to fill out a resume when there's not a lot of work activity. And so that's that's a challenge for young people. And then so to get back to your point about what what types of people we would look at or what I'm a, I'm looking for, it, it was the advice that I gave my son, which is put the, he's had three or four job experiences. So I was being a little bit facetious, but he doesn't have a very robust job experience and he has his academics and his athletics. But I said, what you need to showcase is that you might not know shit, pardon my friend, you might not know anything but you're going to work your tail off to learn it and figure it out. And by the fact that you um, participated in these activities and went to the schools that you went to and, and produced the grades that you did, that would be an indicator that you have the ability to kick some rear end when you get out there. So, I mean, like, so that's kind of the way I look at it for, for, for you know, you know, my kids are 26, 24, 23 and 17. So I, this is the sweet spot of, of, you know, my parenting is the, is the people who are listening to the show. So for me, it's all about, I see kind of a fundamental lack of confidence in youngsters today, whereas a resume, while it can't be blustery and full of non-truths, there is a way to write a resume that showcases your ability and brags about the things that you do well while not embellishing those. And that's an art form that I don't see because I see it in my kids and, and others that are of similar age, they, there's a discomfort of, of lack of a better word, bragging about what you've done, what your skills are, and you should be proud of those skills and showcase those. Yeah, some people call it bragging, uh, but no one else is going to do it. I call it telling the story. What does playing college football at Cal Berkeley say about you? What does it say about your work ethic? What does it say about your team building skills? What does it say about your communication skills? What does it say about your memory? you got to remember all those plays. Um, what does college sports? What does the whatever job you have. What does the summer you spent building houses in Mexico, what do these experiences say? What's the story? It's more than just a line across the resume. You got to build it out. Then again, if your resume is you build the greatest gravity bong and you figured out a way to ignite spaghetti sticks uh, to use them to 
uh, light that gravity bong, and that's your claim to fame, which I had two roommates in college, if that was their claim to fame, then you're not really going to be able to stand on it. You got to get out there and do something. Another example is my 17-year-old. She's been an equestrian for since she was 11 or 12, so she's been um, owning and riding her own horses, English style. Um, and so that's just, that says a couple of things. And by the way, that's one of those sports where you, it, it costs you $100,000 to get a $3 ribbon. So don't, I, don't, I don't recommend it. But it's, it, what a tremendous sport to where you, you get to do something competitive. You get to be with, uh, you know, a, a, to treat an animal that you love. And all of the, responsibles that come, all the responsibilities that come along with, with caring for that animal and preparing that animal so that you work as a team together when you go perform is really unbelievable. It's a lot of, it's a lot of responsibility. And so those are the kinds of things too. When I look at athletics, I, I look at athletics as a, you need to learn how to work within a team. Uh, again, I, I touched on them earlier and, 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 and everybody's important and that's no different than work. If, if our team at Santerra, if there's one or two people that aren't doing their job, the rest of them could be fantastic. And so by, by creating that culture and then that team and, and having folks on the team that want to work and that want to work, they want to be part of that team and they don't want to be the one that lets it down is really the key to, to building a successful organization. Yeah, you're, you're, on the, you're on the road listening to this, driving from football game to football game because you're playing for the University of Michigan. You do something really well for a sustained period of time. You are excellent. And you can spin a story around that. But just like Steve's thoughts on uh, how he uh, works smarter, not harder, which uh, I'm going to have to call bullshit on too. He works smarter and harder. You can... Yeah, you can spin the story of football and spin the story of being a fraternity president and spin the story of the charity you worked at and spin the story of the job you had and spin the story of the internship you had just for three weeks over Christmas. You can do all that because typically you need to do stuff like that to end up in the position where you can afford to send your four kids to uh, horse camp and buy them horses and whatever the, whatever the hell else you guys do there on Balboa Island for your children with silver spoons. And that's what gets me to my next question. So you grew up on a farm, you're out there uh, picking fruit with your family, and all of a sudden, fast forward, you're on a beautiful island in Newport Beach with wonderful, beautiful kids who are all super successful, is where you ended up today, and I know you got more to do, is where you ended up today surprising to you? Are you surprised by it? Yes and no. No, in the sense that I just, I never had a doubt. I, I don't know what, especially when I, I just know I was taught early that, that uh, if you're going to be a ditch digger, just be the best ditch digger there is. And in the U S you'll be successful. That's just what I was taught. My grandpa told me that before my dad. And so I just always associated hard work will equal success and, and not necessarily monetary success or the Ferrari or the Porsche, but just success in, in the way that we measure it. But I knew I would be successful, but my dream was to eventually somehow find my way to the coast. I just didn't know I was going to do it at 29 years old. That was the shocker to me. I knew I'd eventually make it. But the other day when I was walking around the island, I really had to think and almost pinch myself. And, and I was walking with my wife and I just said, this is pretty good. Right? This is pretty good. You know, we, you know, we got, we have a lot of issues. We have a lot of challenges. We have a lot of things that, and like you said, it's not over. There's, we have a long way to go and we're grateful for where we are today, but, I never in a million years thought I would be uh, sitting here talking to you about, about this kind of thing, living here instead of, instead of Brawley. So you had, you have your life dream and you knew your life dream was coastal. You knew your life dream was to have the courses. So you knew deep down inside, you're going to do everything it takes to get there. 
You're going to get really, really good at something for a sustained period of time. You're going to work harder and smarter. You're going to build perseverance. You're going to think strategically and take the opportunities that are going to get you there. So in some ways, you're not surprised, but you know, the little kid from New Mexico and the little kid from uh, Raleigh, California, probably is a bit surprised as well. And with that, there's a lot of sacrifices. Sacrifice you don't regret. Right. What was that last one? What's the big sacrifice you don't regret? Big sacrifice that I don't regret. I don't regret any of it. So there was a lot of sacrifices I made along the way, but I, I think that I was able to maintain a, a, a strong enough balance with my wife and children to, to keep it together. So that would be, a, you know, if something were to happen in that regard, that would have been a regret, but I, I was able to kind of keep that balance as best I could. And, and one of the takeaways I will have from this is work harder, yeah, work smarter and harder. Um, because you're right. You know, it's kind of funny. My wife laughs. I'm sitting here at my desk at my house. And since, you know, when the pandemic's going on, I, if I'm not asleep, I'm sitting here working. So I'm probably working for 18 hours a day as it is. So yeah, you're right. And it seems like not work because when I grew up work meant physical backbreaking sweat work. And so when I think of this and I even think of my dad, who's not with, the, with us anymore, if I told him this was work, he would go, that's not work. But, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it is. And he would call me. It was so funny. You know, a few months before he died, like 15 months ago or 15 years ago, excuse me. He used to call me at like five in the morning and he called and left a message one time. And he says, I don't know how anybody makes any money sleeping in their bed. And he hung up. And then so I woke up, you know, seven, seven o'clock. I woke up like at seven o'clock and I got the message. I'm a grown ass man. I was probably 40 years old at the time. And it's just like a demoralizing thing to hear from your dad, especially when it's the truth. And then, so I made a pact at that time to get my sorry ass out of bed out of, you know, like I'm supposed to and, and get up. And, and those are the hours that I, I'm most productive. So it, 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 all this stuff boils down to, you got to have that want to, and you got to just want to do it. You know, that's, that's the only, that's the only answer for me. Yeah. I read it. I read, was reading up on Tony Shea, the Lone Depot guy, because uh, someone wants to get him to speak at some event. And my old corporate attorney is his corporate attorney. So we're going to call him up. And he's getting into his morning routine. Gets up at four thirty. I'm sitting up four thirty. We all have morning. I mean, all the CEOs I know, everybody successful I know has a morning routine. Positive affirmations. Do a meditation. Walk the dog with your spouse. Uh, get to work. Plan the day. Pick out the biggest thing. End of the day. Figure out your decompress strategy. Get your schedule going for tomorrow. We all have a startup and a wind down. Um, routine. And, and if you don't have one, get one because most successful people do. Uh, then there's the super success. Uh, and those people tend to wake up a little bit earlier because there's only so many hours in the day. And if you're spending 11 of them sleeping, you're not kicking anybody's butt. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you making time and breaking away from your beachfront getaway uh, and walking away from that beautiful wife who I hope you tell I said hi. I always appreciate you. Uh, uh, volunteering to help out people that I'm trying to help out, whether it's the internship for the high school students or jumping in and helping some business people, coaching them here in Orange County or coming on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. 
To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.